Please be seated. Thank you. And turn to 1 John 4 in your Bibles or your bulletins. We're looking at verses 13 through 21. And good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Father Aaron Damiani. Hope to catch you after the service. Um, we are ending a, a series in 1 John we've been in all summer. Last year, around this time, we identified the need to grow as a church in love. That was kind of our theme for the year was like, we need to grow in love for God and love for neighbor, especially in ways that go beyond sentiments, but are actually concrete and active ways of, of loving God and neighbor. And we really identified specifically that people that don't share our specific subculture or background, uh, that we can be passive in relationship to, to those who are just from a different background than us. We really wanted to grow in, in seeking them out and actually being active inviters and participants in their life and inviting them to participate in our life. And I've been so encouraged in the last year to see our church grow in this kind of love. Someone remarked to me over the, uh, over the early summer, someone who visited said over the phone, this is one of the most welcoming churches we've ever visited before. They had been invited to different functions and homes and was remarking about how active the love was. And they're not the only case. There's a lot of people who have been well-loved by you in the last year. You sought them out. You've included them. And you're a church that continually and earnestly wants to love well, to love God well, to love neighbor well. And by God's grace, we're going to continue to grow in love even beyond this year. I want to say thank you and commend you for that. Um, our study in 1 John is meant to fuel this effort to grow in love as a church. And so we're studying 1 John 4, 13 through 21 to end the series. This is something really important because John's going to point something out that we need to, to take a look at before we move on. And that is that John teaches us that you cannot love someone that you fear. You cannot love someone that you fear. And you cannot receive love from someone if you're afraid of them. Fear just sabotages love. Fear might be the number one reason that we fail to love well. And if you think about all the times in your life that you've been failed to be loved well, is likely fear was involved. Or any way that you were kept from loving someone well, a lot of times fear was in the way. Sometimes fear is healthy and necessary, like having reverence for God or paying attention to a fire alarm or setting healthy boundaries with someone. That's not the kind of fear that John will address in 1 John 4. That's not the kind of fear that sabotages love, that fear can actually help love and make it mature. John's going to address the unhealthy fear that makes us insecure before God because we think that he's mean. He's addressing the unhealthy fear before neighbor that causes us to attack them or withdraw from them when God has asked us to love them instead. John's going to talk about more of the fear of rejection and abandonment and harm that treats uh, that causes us to treat people in a different way that Jesus would treat them. And so it's just worth asking the question, do we as a church want to love without fear? Do you as a, a person want to be able to love your neighbor and love God without fear getting in the way? Do you desire true, genuine, mature love to displace insecurity in your life or defensiveness? Um, I can just tell you that I want that for myself and I want that for our church. So 
Um, let's look at how this fear is healed so that we can love well in 1 John 4. It's going to begin with the promise of God's love in verses 13 through 16, and then it's going to result in the perfection of our love, the promise of God's love, but as that works its way into our life, there's a perfection of our love that God desires for us. So let's look at first at the promise of God's love, starting with verse 13. John says this, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, he's talking about God. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. God has given us of his very spirit. John's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, The Holy Spirit of God is referred to elsewhere in Scripture as the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. The spirit of pure and undefiled love, unconditional love for us from God. And this Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of love is a gift of love to anyone that says yes to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Um, If we receive this Holy Spirit and listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can bring freedom from fear. The Holy Spirit brings freedom from the, from the spirit of fear and uh, helps us know deep in our knowledge that we abide in God and God abides in us. The spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit says to us, you are not cast out. You are not left on the streets to fend for yourself. You're not on your own. You have a home. You, you can abide in God. You have a home in God. You have a dwelling. You have a father. Now, the spirit of adoption can set us free from what author Jack Frost calls the orphan spirit. The orphan spirit is a spirit that fills us with insecurity, isolation, and a striving for love, an earning of love. Uh, The orphan spirit tells us that we have to fight for our place in the family. The orphan spirit tells us that we have no true inheritance, no true belonging, that we are cursed to wander and survive all of our lives. The orphan spirit blocks the love that is freely available to us. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers, Dane Ortland gives an illustration of how the orphan spirit can be healed. He says this, picture a 12-year-old boy growing up in a healthy, loving family. As he matures, through no fault of his parents, he finds himself trying to figure out how to really assure himself a place in the family. One week, he tries to create a new birth certificate for himself. The next week, he determines to spend all his extra time scrubbing the kitchen clean. Some of you wish that you had a 12-year-old kid in a house like this. The following week, he determines to do all he can to imitate his dad. One day, his parents question his strange behavior. I'm just doing all I can to secure my place in the family, guys. Now, how would his father respond? Calm yourself down, dear son. There's nothing you could possibly do to earn your place among us. You are our son, period. You didn't do anything at the start to get into our family. And you can't do anything now to get out of the family. Live your life knowing your sonship is settled and irreversible. Now, that's the message that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, can give to every person who belongs to Christ. You can rest. You are adopted. You are included. 
You cannot unearn your place out of this family. In fact, look at the very next verse. What happens when we receive the spirit of adoption? Verse 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Do you see what happens when the spirit of adoption fills our whole life? Well, we can see God rightly. Uh, We have a Father, verse 14 says, we can see that he generously sent his Son. This is no harsh and withholding Father. Um, and, you know, he's sending lavish gifts upon us. His, the most lavish gifts that you can imagine a father giving, you know, his own son unto death. But that's how much the father loves us. And then the son that he sent isn't some kind of adversary sent to condemn us. He's a savior. He's a helper. He's like the EMT that arrives when there's a big accident, here to help and save and heal. He's like the firefighter going right into the fire rescuing the children. Um, He didn't come to condemn, he came to save and rescue and show us the Father's heart for us when we struggle. The spirit of adoption really tells us the truth about God, doesn't he? God the Father, God the Son, that you can trust this family. You can trust this adoption. And just what good would that do for our mental health if we could see God rightly, wouldn't it? The good theology and and strong mental health, they're kind of like two sides of the same coin here receiving the spirit of adoption, receiving that spirit of love, it helps us see God rightly, and it helps us be loved rightly. Verse 15 continues, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Whoever confesses, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, he really is, boy, God will abide with him or her, and she can abide with God. I know one thing about you. And that is that uh, you give a a careful thought to who you invite to be your roommate, don't you? If you're going to room with somebody, or if you're going to invite someone to to like live in your house, if you're going to invite someone to be part of your family, you're going to think twice about that. It's a compliment when someone says, would you like to share an apartment together? Do you want to be roommates? Even more so when they say, I want you to become part of my family. Would you share a home with me indefinitely? Now consider this, God loves you and likes you so much that he wants to make his home with you. The word abide is used multiple times in this text. Abide, abide, and abide. God in you and you with God. He wants you to confess Jesus as the son of God because he wants you to make your home with him. He wants you to be family, not a distant relative that gets a Christmas card, but someone he sees every day. God wants you to be someone he spends his meals with and someone you spend your meals with him. Someone he can welcome home with open arms every night. How was your day? That's what it means to abide. It means to dwell. It means to hang out together. It means to be a close friend. It means to be a beloved spouse. God wants his home with you. God wants your home with him. The Bible teaches it and the spirit of adoption confirms that it's true. You don't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to be afraid of God. God isn't afraid of you. He's not threatened by you. He's not put off by your bad breath, your smells, your faults. He's so patient with them. He delights in you. He loves you. And because he's not afraid of you, 
He wants to make his home with you, and he wants you to make your home with him. Vincente Ortiz was found guilty in 2019 for the murder of a 17-year-old boy in a jealous rage. In his court hearing, the mother of the slain boy made this tearful statement to her son's killer. She looked at Vincente in the eye and said this, In order to get through this process, I had to forgive you. And I forgive you from the bottom of my heart. I pray for you. Because as a mother, you're a child to me. And in my heart, I have no anger or bitterness toward you. As a mom, I just want to hug you. Because I know there's something that's not connected that made you feel so angry. That this mom, in this incredible statement, shows us something really important about the love of God. Even though our actions resulted, our sin resulted in real death and a real cross for his beloved son, from the bottom of his heart, the father forgives us. We're a child to him. He just wants to hug us. This is where love without fear begins. It begins with the forgiving, loving heart of God for us. That's the promise of God's love. Verse 16 kind of wraps this section up. John says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Would you like to receive the spirit of adoption? You know, you can. If you've never confessed that Jesus is Lord, if you've never asked him to forgive your sin, do you know that you can do that this very morning? You can say in your own heart, Lord, I want to be adopted by you. I want you to live with me forever. I want to live with you forever. Please forgive my sins that cost you your life. Please make your home inside of me. Please take my orphan spirit and replace it with the spirit of adoption. I want to live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you can pray that this morning. The Lord will answer that prayer. He'll make you his child. You can talk to someone here at Emmanuel after the service and ask them to pray for you, and we can teach you what it means to be a child of God here. Um, What's the result of the spirit of love filling us? The promise of God's love. It's so foundational We always return here to learn how to love well. And what happens as a result of this is that love is perfected in us. Love is, and it's just not happened overnight, but over time, love is perfected in us and we become the kind of loving people that we know we're called to be. Um, The nature of water is to find the lowest point. Michael Bowe says this about water. An indisputable law of physics is that water always finds the lowest level in an incredibly efficient manner. It penetrates any crevice or path that will facilitate its downward flow, steadily meandering and descending in search of lower planes. In our physical world, water is as efficient as gravity is unforgiving. So water, it's efficient, filling every last crack and crevice it can find. God's love is similarly efficient, filling every last crack of insecurity and every crevice of dread that
that resides within us. God's love seeks out our deepest fears. God's love seeks out the lowest places of our soul where we are most afraid. Now, John describes this as a process of perfection. Verse 17 says this, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, John says in verse 18. There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. We could say perfect love displaces fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I find it interesting that the beloved disciple John mentions the day of judgment in a passage about love. Why would he mention the day of judgment? The day of judgment is where we face God in all of his perfection and glory. And our life is evaluated, and that day will come. Did we love his son Jesus? Did we receive his spirit? Did we fulfill his call on our life? Did we love our neighbor? We will look into the blazing eyes of Jesus, and our life will be evaluated. What a sobering thought. Yet John says, by this is love perfected in us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Don't you want to show up to the day of judgment with confidence? I do. And if we have confidence for the day of judgment, if we have confidence for that ultimate day of reckoning, before the light of God's face, we can have confidence in all circumstances if we can have confidence for the day of judgment. We can have confidence for any circumstance that could ever threaten or terrify us. And we need not fear the punishments of this life. Perfect love casts out fear, John says. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What does this mean for us? I, I know of a dad who once took his family to the beach. Um, his son, David, was maybe four or five years old. And he was terrified, his son, of, terrified of the massive ocean. It was the Pacific Ocean. The waves, you know, they're bigger than Lake Michigan. And they're like really crashing on the, on the shore. And David ran to his parents for protection. He was like so afraid of the waves. And his dad said, oh, David, those waves are scary, aren't they? Those are big waves. You know, I, I have an idea. Let's, let, let's do uh, something to keep those waves from hurting you. And so he and his son, David, found a couple of sticks. And he's like, you know what? Let's, let's show those waves who's boss. Don't, why don't we go? And so, David, take me to the waves that are scaring you. And so David led his dad um, uh, over to the waves. And, and his dad was like, you know what, waves? You're not going to stop us. And, the, and so he and David just started hitting the waves, hitting the waves. And all of a sudden, you could just see, like, the perfect the perfection, the confidence of his dad filling little David's heart. And now David didn't have to be afraid of the waves anymore. Something about his dad's confidence and love like strengthened him and displaced this area of the earth that he was just terrified about, took all his fears away. You know, it might take a long time for us, but God's love works like that for anything we are afraid of. We can take our loving father into any corner of this life, any relationship, any situation, any disaster that we are most afraid, the places that fill us with dread. We can take our father and he can show us his confidence. He can be our protection. Are you walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now? Let the good shepherd walk right next to you and comfort you with his love and with his rod and with his staff. 
John Stott says this, to fear is to begin to suffer punishment already. Isn't that true? When you're afraid, it's like you're already suffering some kind of punishment. But John, John Stott continues, but as we become like God in this world, we cease to cringe before him or anything else. This is so important. As we become like God, we cease to cringe before him or before anything else. The great characteristic we become known for as Christians is no longer our fears, but our love. Now, what does love need to displace fear in our life? Where does the orphan spirit need to be healed by the spirit of adoption? Here's a key diagnostic test. If you're going, okay, how do I grow in love? What's the growth edge for me? Um, John gives us a test in verse 19 and following. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, they are a liar. For he or she who does not love his brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, verse 21. Whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. Nobel Prize winning scientist Richard Feynman said it best. The first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person for yourself to fool. Are you a loving person? Don't fool yourself. It's really easy to do it. Am I a loving person? Do we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself? It is so easy to say yes to that in a sentimental way, in a general way. Generally speaking, I'm a loving person. Just don't, you know, tick me off, I'll, and you'll be fine. Um, John says, don't lie. Don't lie to yourself. Do you hate your brother or sister? To be more specific, how do we handle the relationships that trigger us? Who triggers us toward contempt? Annoyance. Withdrawing. Who causes us to shut down or power up? Who causes us to overcompensate or compete or judge? Who triggers us to feel jealous or act ruthless or just hide out? These relationships can actually be gifts to us because they reveal the crevices of fear that need God's love. If we are afraid of people who trigger us, we cannot love them. In 2004, Ayan Hirsi Ali and Theo van Gogh released a short dramatic film um, to a Dutch audience called Submission. At that point, uh, the Netherlands, where both of them lived, had experienced a high immigration rate from Muslims from around the world. And this film explored um, cultural themes about um, how people were treated in Muslim society, and it was a highly controversial film. A few months later, Theo van Gogh, who was the great-grandson of famous, the famous artist Vincent van Gogh, was out on a bike ride in Amsterdam. And at that time, an assassin began to bike uh, next to him and brutally murdered him in cold blood as revenge for the film. Ethicist Matthew Kemming documents how the tolerant and peaceful innocence of the uh, beloved city in the Netherlands had been ripped violently out of the hands of the Dutch. This period of national shock and sadness quickly gave way to a national state of fear and finally, what often follows fear, anger. Up to this point, the Netherlands had thought of itself as a loving country known for its multiculturalism and diversity. 
Yet after Van Gogh's murder, mobs formed around the country and they began to burn dozens of mosques and churches to retaliate for the murder of Van Gogh. Now in the wake of all this violence, an unlikely figure emerged. Reverend Keyes Sibrani was a pretty conservative Christian pastor and he firmly insisted that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, and the only life worth having. He was not a multicultural person overall and before the crisis had no particular friendships within the Muslim community. Yet after the mosques were burned, Pastor Sibrani stood up and he walked to the closest mosque to his church. He knocked firmly on the door, and to the shock of the Muslims huddled inside, he declared that he would stand guard outside the mosque every night until the Dutch attacks on mosques ceased. In the days and weeks that followed, Matthew documents, the pastor called other churches in the area, and more and more Christians joined him, circling and guarding mosques throughout the region for more than three months. Can you imagine taking on a three-month project of guarding the mosques in Chicago? That's what they did. Now, when pressed to explain his actions, Sibrani simply replied, after much persistence, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus commanded me to love my neighbor, my enemy too. My friends, the love of God is perfected in us precisely when we're tempted to go into fear. It's made perfect in us when we are in our, the most difficult of times and in the most difficult of relationships. Learning the love of God, learning the promise of it, as well as the perfection of it, is something that really will last our whole lifetime. We will continue learning the love of God together as a church. Even if the theme changes for the year, this is a, a lifelong project, a community project. We're in the school of love. And we will continue learning the love of God until it fills us, fills every crack, every crevice, until it overflows beyond us on the day of judgment. Now, I want to lead us into a short prayer exercise to grow in the love of God and receive it this morning. You can um, participate in this, or if, if you're not comfortable doing that, you can simply um, close your eyes in silence. We're going to invite the love of God to fill us, to find maybe the next crevice or crack that only fear resides. I invite you now, if, uh, if you would like to receive the love of God, to, to actually place your hands on your head, your forehead, or the top of your head, as we ask the love of God to fill our thoughts. And you can just pray, Lord, fill my thoughts with your love. Let the love of God find the, the fearful thoughts that are pulsating through my mind right now. Are the thoughts of fear, of disaster, thoughts of dread? Spirit of adoption, would you give the love of the Father to those thoughts and cleanse them? Replace them with thoughts of love, the love of God, the protection of God. I invite you to put your hands on your heart, just representing your heart and your soul. You can just pray in the quietness of your own heart, Lord, fill my heart and soul with your love. Spirit of adoption, I pray that you would now replace the spirit of fear or any orphan spirit that feels it needs to strive to earn a place in the family. 
Displace any fear that's lodged in my system, my nervous system. Just fill it with your love. And we, we ask that, Lord. And now you can uh, place your hands over your mouth or just even over your other hand, representing speech and action. And we ask, Father, fill my hands with your love. Fill my mouth with your love. Let me no longer speak out of fear or insecurity. Let, let us no longer act out of fear or insecurity. Fill all actions this week and this day with absolute love. Let every word be dripping with love. Let every action demonstrate the love that you have shown to us. And Lord, I now pray for our whole church that you would baptize us in the love of God. Lord, let us claim this promise, which is so precious. Let us never forget it. And let love be perfected in us, Lord, until we see you face to face. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As those who have been loved by God, let us now stand and confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. 